We won't go back in and read chapter 41 of Genesis this evening, but there are a few thoughts that I would like to touch on before we leave this chapter entirely. So if you would like to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 41, we'll consider continue to consider some of the events that took place in this chapter. We know from this chapter that Pharaoh had two dreams, that none of his wise men, all the wise men of Egypt, which there were many, and they were well-educated, but none of them could interpret Pharaoh's dreams for him. And then and only then did the butler, for whom Joseph had interpreted his dream, which resulted in him being restored back to his job as the cupbearer, the the butler of Pharaoh, just then he remembered, oh yeah, Joseph can interpret dreams. Uh, There's a young Hebrew boy in prison that was in prison with me. And so he says to Pharaoh, he can do it. And so Pharaoh calls for him. They clean Joseph up. They bring him in. And Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams, that you have the ability. And Joseph said, not me, but God has that ability. And God will give you the interpretation. And of course, God used Joseph as as the instrument to interpret, but Joseph acknowledged that this wasn't something that was his ability or his power. It came from God. Uh, But he had that confidence that God would give that interpretation for Pharaoh. And of course, we understand that the, the two dreams, they were the with the same understanding of what God was going to allow to happen. Seven years of plentiful harvest, followed by seven years of severe famine. And when, when I think of this and how Joseph, in every situation, he always pointed people to God, no matter who he was talking to, when he had to run away from Potiphar's wife, who kept pursuing him, what did he say? I, I can't sin against God. So even talking to that, that carnal woman, he talked to her about God. And then when he was talking to the disgraced prisoners of, of Pharaoh in the prison of, of the king, he told them the same thing. He pointed them to God. God has the interpretation. Why are you sad? Tell me your dreams. And now he stands before the most powerful man on the planet at the time. Doesn't hesitate. He points him to God. And this is the testimony that that we should have. No matter who we come in contact, and it doesn't matter what status in society they are, how rich they are, or how poor they are, it doesn't matter what color skin they have or what country they come from, our purpose should always be to point people to Jesus Christ. We're not to get mixed up in all of the, the bias of the flesh and of the world, not to get mixed up in all the politics that, the, that they are and that influence all these matters. No matter who we come in contact, we are to be a testimony of the reality of faith in Jesus Christ and what it can do for those who believe. Let's go to Romans 1. And verses 14 to 17, where the apostle of this church age tells us that this was his attitude, and it should also be ours. He was the, the example for us. Romans 1 and verses 14 to 17. Paul says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to 
to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. No restrictions or limitations there. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek or the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we should have that same attitude. Be ready to present the gospel to whomever. And may we never fall into that, that trap of the flesh of judging people before we ever speak to them. Oh, well, they're probably not going to hear, or they're not worthy, or it's not, way, not worth my time. Be open to the Holy Spirit to lead you to those that are ready. Only the Holy Spirit can prepare a heart, and only the Holy Spirit knows. But may we be sensitive and be ready and not ashamed. Joseph was not ashamed to tell people about Jehovah no matter who they were. That's just his constant testimony, and it should be ours as well. And so in that 41st chapter, Joseph advises the king that he should prepare for those years of famine because they are going to be severe and they will wipe out all the reserves of the seven years of plenty if there's not preparation made. And so Joseph suggests that Pharaoh should appoint a wise person to be to oversee that. And Pharaoh wisely chose Joseph. I mean, who, who better than the one who, who has the, the ear to hear God, to know what needs to be done? And so he chose Joseph to that place. And so in one day, one afternoon, he goes from being a prisoner to the second in command in the most powerful empire on the planet at the time. That's how quickly things changed for Joseph. When God's will is going to be fully fulfilled, it can happen in a moment. Now remember, it took several years for Joseph to enter into the fullness of what God had promised him. But God's word always will be fulfilled. It can't be broken. God cannot lie. There are times when in this life, when God does promote his people and others see the, the uh, wisdom that he has given us because we believe in him. And in this life, it's possible that there are times when God's people are exalted because people recognize there's something beneficial about that person and how they think and how they conduct themselves. And so we want to honor that in just in natural things, in business, and in, in just different areas of life. That doesn't always happen like it did here in Joseph's case, but there is coming a day when, in a flash, those that have chosen to believe the Lord Jesus Christ will be recognized for who they really are. Let's go to 1 John 3. It will happen in a twinkle of an eye. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Right now, the world, for the most part, considers us to be the base, the foolish of this world. But one day, they're going to see who we really are. Behold what manner of love. This is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That, that sentence alone should take you a lifetime to really do what it's telling you to do. Stop 
and behold. Stop and just fix on what kind of love it took for God to provide what we're going to read here and all that we read through Scripture. What kind, how, how great a love, how, what a degree of love it took for our Creator to exalt us from being His enemy in rebellion against Him to exalt us to be His children. And then some of His children, even to the highest place, to sit in the throne with Jesus Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. We live in a Christ-rejecting world, so it shouldn't surprise us that those who follow Christ are also rejected from the world and their standard. Beloved, now we are children of God. What an exalted place that is. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he, Jesus, is revealed... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Joseph is the perfect example of this. He was promised a throne. While he was waiting for God to fulfill his his promise to him, Joseph lived a life of integrity and honesty and godliness, told everybody he knew about how good Jehovah was and what Jehovah could do for them in their life. He lived his whole youthful life with that kind of testimony. And all that time, nobody, not his father, not his brothers, not not Potiphar, not the prison guard, none of them saw him as one who would rule in Egypt. But that's who he was. That's who God promised he would be. And one day... Everybody saw what God already saw for Joseph. The same is going to be true for us. We're children of God right now. He's our father. Jesus is our elder brother. The world doesn't really understand what a privileged place we have. And sometimes we as Christians forget how privileged we are just to be called a child of God. One day, everyone will see us for who we are. And God will get the glory. We will be trophies of his grace When we're exalted, it won't be, and then we'll see Joseph's humility in his place of exaltation. Again, perfect example of what the believer will be when they are exalted in eternity. It won't be a boast about, look at us, look at who I am now. It will be as a trophy of God's grace. Look what God's grace did for such a fragile vessel of clay. He did this. God did this. Jesus, by dying on the cross, made this possible. So one day, we also will be instantly exalted, just as Joseph was. There were many officers and rulers in Pharaoh's kingdom. Pharaoh didn't do away with all of his other governors and princes and all the other offices of of his government. But Joseph was above them all. He was second in command. He was exalted because of his wisdom, because he was God's vessel. In Revelation 19, this will be true of some of God's people as well. All Christians will have a place in God's kingdom, in his government. I believe all Christians will be a part of the execution of the will of God throughout eternity. All will be active 
in that kingdom. But we see that there will be some exalted above others because of their faithfulness in this life. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. I'm sorry, Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So two things here. Give him glory. Give the Lamb glory. But we also see that the Lamb has a wife, and she also, there, there's some effort put forth in her preparation for that place. She's made herself ready. Now, she's made herself ready by surrendering her will to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. The lamb gets the glory because he's the one who actually provided everything she needed to prepare. The lamb still gets the glory. But his wife has responsibility. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Such a clear statement. There's... Symbolic language, obviously, there's a picture being painted for us here, and yet the picture also comes with bold captions. Well, what is that wedding dress? What's it made of? Why was she allowed to put this on? It's made up of the righteous acts, acts of obedience, acts of righteousness that were in accordance with the righteous judgments of the word of God. So she was exalted above others, just as Joseph was. When Joseph was exalted to the second in command, he was given a wife, and then he had two sons. And the names of those sons express, once again, Joseph's, his understanding and his adoration of God and what God had done for him. Too many Christians, when they go through difficult trials, like Joseph went through trial after trial, many, many Christians become bitter against God and don't want anything to do with him and any, any God that would let these things happen to me, I don't want anything to do with him. We never see bitterness in Joseph. We see constant faithfulness. And his, the name of his first son is Manasseh. It has the thought of to forget. What's he forgetting? All that he had suffered prior to getting to the throne. He names his second son Ephraim, which has the thought of a double fruitfulness. And so God caused him to prosper, brought him through a lot of suffering, a lot of unwanted things, a lot of injustices. But when God fulfilled his word and his promise to Joseph, all of that was forgotten And now instead of in despair and in prison and losing so many things that he lost, now he he gains. He's fruitful. We have the same promises. Uh, I, I love studying. I love teaching on the life of Joseph because to me it is the supreme example of what a Christian should be, what faith really is, and what God, God's promises are to those who believe him and how faithful God is to those who surrender their will to God's will. Romans 8.18, we have the same promise of Joseph. We may not have a son called Manasseh, but we have a promise. 
Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And you say, well, I don't know. Do you know how much I've suffered? And when you think of some, some Christians that I know, that they have suffered their entire adult life of things that are just overwhelming. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's relationships, injustices. And the suffering is great. You look at Joseph's life. I mean, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery by his brothers. That was real. Joseph was faithful to his morality, and yet he was accused of immorality. The exact opposite of what he strove to live. That, that's hard. Thrown into to prison and forgotten. That's hard. That was real. And yet when, when he entered into the fulfillment of God's promise to him, he said, I don't, I don't even remember it. When we get on the other side, we often hear songs and people talk about, well, I'm going to ask God about this. And I, No, you're not. It's all going to be forgotten. Not, not because you have a lapse of memory. It's in comparison to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And when I think of how great the suffering of some of God's people is, I wonder just how great the glory will be. Do we believe it? In the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the hardships, when it just seems, God, I don't know how I can go on. Lay hold of these promises. Continue to tell others about Jesus and why he is faithful to his word. And he'll give you strength in that moment. He'll give you peace when you shouldn't have peace. That peace is, is knowing, you know, this is unpleasant. I don't like it. I don't want it. But I know I'm all right because I've got a bright future ahead of me. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's real when you believe these promises. John 15, verses 1 to 8. We can also have eternal fruit. We can be doubly fruitful. We can lay up treasure on the other side in heaven. Jesus said in John 15, verses 1 through 8, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Uh, pruning. Uh, I've never asked a, a, a vine, a grapevine, if it hurts when it prunes, but if it had feelings, I would imagine that would hurt. Sometimes God prunes us as well, but there's a purpose to the pruning. Just as in, in the natural, there is a reason to prune a vine, a grapevine. It will produce more, more fruit. And that's not by happenstance. You know, the creator of nature is the one who's established these spiritual and eternal principles. And so he created nature with all of these illustrations for us. The resurrection, oh, in, impossible. Well, in the spring, we're going to have a perfect example of resurrection, aren't we? When the flowers begin to pop up, we thought everything was dead. But now all of a sudden we got life. It's not happenstance that nature illustrates these things for us. And so we can be doubly fruitful, even if it involves for the moment some painful pruning. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. That is, you've already been cut. The word of God prunes you. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And that abiding has to do with letting him take full control of your life. It's not enough just to say, well, I've got Jesus in my heart. Do you let him have every area of your heart? Let him be the owner of your heart, of your throne. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them, notice he says they, not him, and throw them into the fire and they are burned. A child of God who does not lay hold of these truths to live by faith, their testimony is a reproach. And men reject it. And there's no spiritual fruit to their life. They're saved. They have eternal life. The Father doesn't throw them into the fire. But men do. Your your testimony means nothing to me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples, my followers. When we abide in God's word and let God's word abide in us, it will produce in us that spiritual fruit in our lives, the fruit of the spirit, the very life of Christ, the very virtues of Christ will be seen in us. And then also as we share Christ with others, then that fruit in their life also abounds to the glory of God. We can be doubly fruitful, just like Joseph by naming his son Ephraim. We can be doubly fruitful as as well. Joseph's story should thrill our hearts. Right now we're going through some of the difficult times in this life that Joseph went through. But just as sure as Joseph gained the throne, we can do the same. God will show himself faithful. I think we'll stop there this evening.